0: Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal Podcast. I'm Dr. Travis Decker from Eglin Air Force Base. I'll be talking to a dear friend and mentor of mine, Dr. Jonathan Godin. He's a true rising star in the field of sports medicine, and he's the recipient of multiple teaching and research awards as he continues to grow and expand his network of reach as both a team physician and mentor now in Vail, Colorado. He's currently a faculty member at the Sedman Clinic in Vail and specializes in shoulder, knee, and hip surgery. I'll be focusing on an article co-authored by Dr. Rodin and his team evaluating poor outcomes after arthroscopic shoulder stabilization procedures. Welcome to the podcast, John, as I'm super excited and eager to learn more about what triggered you all to dive deep into this specific topic and what to be on the lookout for and how it's now impacted your practice. We'll be reviewing the November 2021 arthroscopy article titled, Postoperative Stiffness and Pain After Arthroscopic Laboral Stabilization, Consider Anchor Arthropathy. John, thank you, and congratulations on all your achievements and contributions, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Travis, thanks for the uh, wonderful introduction. It's uh, certainly an honor to be doing this with you, and we go years back, and it's
0: always fun to catch up, so I appreciate the uh, invitation as well. Well, John, let's get it started. Can you start us off with the origins of this manuscript? What led you all to really dig into the specific subset of of, uh, specialized patients? Yeah,
1: of course. This dates back to my time as a fellow at the Steadman Clinic back in 2016, 2017. Um, When I did my first uh, clinical rotation with MAP Preventure. we had a patient come in with anchor arthropathy. And quite frankly, I hadn't really gone through that diagnosis, that process before in residency. And so it was something new to me. Um, I always knew it could be possible, but first time seeing that. And then When I came back for subsequent uh, rotations with him, we we had actually, uh, I believe, two more that year. And so while we were in the OR treating one or two of those patients, uh, we started talking about how we needed to uh, look up uh, the case series at the clinic to really open people's eyes to this and what to look for on both a clinical level as well as radiographic, so that people could be, clinicians can be more attuned to this
0: as a potential source of pain after stabilization surgery. Awesome. Well, thanks, John. Super interesting kind of what triggers you, and it's amazing how fellowship can really allow you to see just such a broad depth of pathology and can trigger questions and with how the techniques have changed over the years and it's clear that as technology advances the quality and advancement of the anchors being used in arthroscopic stabilization procedures continues to improve as well you all did a great job discussing historical implants and how they've related to post instability arthropathy from your findings in the cohort of patients can you comment on the types rates and symptom onset of arthropathy in all your patients compared to those of the historical implants
1: yeah of course i don't have kind of any granular data on this i really don't think many people do, but this paper looked at fourteen patients and there were a mix of metallic and peak anchors and, and really at the time uh, I don't believe there are any L suture uh, included. There may have been may have been one, but um what I would say is that the types that we saw are going back to some of the older myTech metal anchors. And the rates were certainly higher with those Followed by the peak anchors, and um, I think just a matter of timing of the cohort. We we had the lowest with the all suture, but I, I do think that we'll hopefully see this less with all suture anchors. Um, in terms of symptom onset, I think that can be due to the anchor type, but I think it's it's mostly due to the trajectory of the anchor and how proud it might be with respect to the glenoid face. So I think the technique employed at the uh, index procedure is more of an effect on the timing of this than the anchor, but that can certainly be play a secondary role in it um, from what we saw in these patients.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of interesting work done in the journal lately, looking at that trajectory and exact placement of the anchor um, and how that can actually affect the bone stock, uh, which is, mm-hmm. is interesting. And that even in the... Uh, how that trajectory can play into these secondary effects continues to show that we're still learning, even though we've been doing shoulder stabilization procedures for decades. It's just, uh, it's pretty incredible. Looking further into your paper, it's clear that the workup for it, uh, that an MRI is indicated, but can you also tell us how you all accurately use the MRI to identify anchor arthropathy as a source? And also, are you able to distinguish between proud anchors versus that of just prominent knots on MRI that can lead to those secondary cartilage changes?
1: so yeah we we got MRIs, and what I would say is sometimes even the t one images can be a little bit more helpful to trying to evaluate where that anchor is uh, position is with respect to the uh, glenoid cartilage. I think you also have to look at like the kissing lesion on the humeral head to see if you can identify some stripe wear present there and then and then looking at your t twos for any loose bodies. Um, obviously, you will be able to evaluate if the labrum perhaps ever healed or if it's retorn. And then distinguishing between the anchor themselves and prominent knots, that is going to be, again, looking more so at within the actual glenoid bone stock, if if that anchor seems to be proud with respect to the cartilage. And if it doesn't appear to be, then that's more likely a source of the knot stack that's bother irritating that patient. Um, that was less of an issue in this cohort, uh, than the actual anchors themselves. Uh, one thing I would add is that I, I, I do think that a CT scan, I, I get a CT scan on all suspected anchor arthropathy patients now. And so I, I found that to be helpful to really assess the, with better delineation than the MRI, the trajectory of the anchor and where it may be proud uh, on the face of the glenoid. And so I use that to see if there's any, if the, if it completely comes through the bone stock on the face, then I'm more concerned about the actual anchor. And if it doesn't, then I'm thinking more so than knot stack to kind of go back to your specific
0: question there. Gotcha. I mean, maybe at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You're going in to revise the patient and fix them anyways, but that's an interesting, yeah. uh, interesting to go through kind of the, the process of what you're specifically looking at um, in order exactly. to help clue you in. And then, you know, back to the physical exam, uh, when you're evaluating them, do you see a common theme in terms of specific complaints that uh, clue you all into the fact that it's anchor arthropathy that's specifically leading to their symptoms?
1: yeah definitely i think i think you start with the the history and um, looking at the paper 100 percent of people came in with pain and so travis the first thing you have to say is you know these are people who either never had an improvement in their pain or their pain got worse and so a lot of times you know instability patients they're coming in with apprehension subjective and or objective instability and then they get pain from the instability event but it goes away that's different when these anchoarthropy patients afterwards, they'll, they'll say, you know, it feels maybe a little bit more stable, but it just, it just hurts more, and that just doesn't get better over time, or it's getting worse over time. The other thing that they'll complain of is second most common, aside from pain, is tightness. They'll just feel like they really never regain their range of motion. Um, and so with those two, if I'm evaluating somebody – I, I you always have to have a C. acnes indolent infection in the back of your mind. I think you always have to worry about adhesive capsulitis, and then and then this has to I think be on your radar. And if you look at the time frame of these patients, were coming in within a couple of months to up to over a decade out, and so adhesive capsulitis is usually going to be more acute. And if they're able to work through that and then subsequently develop pain, you're going to be thinking more of suture anchor arthropathy, and then um, if the, again, with infection, if you get out of that acute post-operative period, it's going to be less likely on your radar. And so, so that's kind of how I go through it. The, the Some of the other things they'll complain about would be mechanical symptoms, clicking, like they feel like it catches. And then I've seen an interesting mix of it. I've had a couple of my own patients in my, I'm in my now in my fifth year of practice. And they would have this interesting juxtaposition of saying their shoulder felt tight, but it also feels like they can't trust it and it's loose again. And so that's the combination of, I think, scar tissue and some of the cartilage wear. And if the labrum tears, they, they still, they have some element of apprehension. So it's kind of this interesting combination, but I think you always have to rule out infection and then if it's, make sure it's not just simply adhesive capsulitis. But I think that has, tends to happen more in the early stages after surgery. And if you can work, if you work it up and that doesn't get better over time, um, then you have to start thinking about anchor orthopathy.
0: Well, yeah, uh, I mean, I go back to what any of our mentors taught us to do, because if you listen to the patient 90% of the time, they're going to already just tell you what's wrong. Yep. It seems like this one is, is a big one, especially if you're clued in out of that immediate post-op, like infection timeframe, that this could be a, a big cause of secondary symptoms. Exactly. As with uh, any instability procedure, implants can have a devastating effect on the shoulder if they're not working as intended. Uh, can you comment on, on that delay to presentation and why you think there is maybe a delay between symptom onset evaluation and then even surgical intervention? Because I found it interesting that and maybe it was just lack of awareness and, and understanding of of this as a pathology is a problem, but the time to like where the patient actually started feeling the issue to where they finally were fixed was was pretty delayed. Yeah, I think that's um, a great point, and I, I think you,
1: I think you hit the the biggest issue, and that's just lack of awareness, and that was the main reason why we wanted to get this larger case series out. There's been some case reports that we note in the discussion of it, but it's really to raise awareness to our colleagues. So, I think people come back, and again, they go through this this acute period and trying to get the range of motion back, and and maybe you're thinking that they just have some stiffness and you try to work through it. And so really no imaging is done because you're trying to give it more time with PT. Maybe they get some labs if they're worried about an infection, but they get. then subsequently you get the imaging and the labrum looks okay. And so then you say, well, you know, these are usually young people, so the rotator cuff is probably fine. I think the biggest clue is going to then be, you know, some of the cartilage wear and tear. And so I think I think just not understanding that this is an etiology can be the main issue that leads to the delayed presentation. And the other thing is, you know, a minority of our patients had to have recurrent stabilization uh, procedures, but they may their initial symptoms are sometimes improved and they have different ones. And so um I think there's also we always have this bias of, you know, not wanting to have any issues with our patients postoperatively. And so there might be bearing your head in the sand may be an issue here at play as well, in my opinion. So I think once they're then presenting the, to our clinic, you could see that, you know, the, about 70% of the time they are able to get in within eight weeks to have the revision procedure. And so I, I think, again, awareness is key there for people who may be seeing this, whether it's the operating surgeon from the index procedure or a different surgeon uh, to make sure that the appropriate imaging is obtained. Again, for me, that would be an, both an MRI and a CT. And just the history and physical really, really give it away the vast majority of the time and then to get these patients. I think you have to go as quickly as possible because each day that passes, they just have more and more risk to, their, to the cartilage in their shoulder and have a higher need or risk of
0: needing an arthroplasty down the road. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't thank you enough for kind of going through stepwise how and why you do things because obviously if the, the only way for us to get better at it is having an awareness of, this, uh, of these secondary consequences. And, and so thank you for kind of teaching us about those unintended consequences despite some of the best efforts that we've put forward. Can you tell us how this paper this, and this study has impacted your practice? Not necessarily now, since you've really taught us about that identification of the pathology, but perhaps kind of how you've moved forward in your practice. You've already mentioned trajectory of the implants and how you put them in, but maybe also the type of implants you use and do you modify them based off of index or revision procedures. Just would love to hear your comments on, on, especially with the advancement of technology and everything, uh, perhaps what you've been doing to help modify your practice and maybe mitigate some of these risks.
1: Yeah, of course. So again, I think just the awareness for clinically has helped me to assess this in patients after stabilization procedure. But then in terms of technical points and and some of the things I do for index, I I do all my instability cases lateral. And then I I think I have a lower threshold because of knowing about the potential sequelae of anchor arthropsy to uh, to get the best trajectory possible to using uh, accessory portals. And then I've I I definitely try to employ curved guides whenever possible. Uh, I still do a mix of peak and all suture anchors, uh, obviously no metal. And so I'm doing that and using a combination of, you know, down to about, you know, 1.8 up to like a 2.4 millimeter implant, trying to keep them as low profile as possible. I think are just, your trajectory and the, the the material used in the anchor, I think are the two biggest factors for developing this. And so that's what I've been trying to um, to get around. And then for revision cases, I think it's kind of similar. If you're worried about bone stock, I, I'll upsize on the uh, all suture anchor to a larger one if need be. And then obviously if there's you know even 10% or more bone loss going to a a bony augmentation procedure instead.
0: Well, John, Love chatting with you, uh, love catching up with you and hearing about your work. The fellows are extremely lucky to have you as a mentor out there as a up-and-coming surgeon. And uh, I really am grateful for the time that you've taken out of your schedule today to talk with us. Uh, I know you're still in the depths of the end of ski season out there as you guys continue to get pounded with snow, which is just awesome. And uh, and the injuries that come, even especially at this time of year, uh, as folks are getting into the flats and then uh, destroying themselves. So uh, thank you for talking us through your thought process, your workup diagnosis and how it's uh, how you've modified your practice. Thanks once again, John, for uh, your insight and and all your help as, as you continue to to lead the way. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate the invitation and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. And so Dr. Godin's arthroscopy article entitled Postoperative Stiffness and Pain After Arthroscopic Labral Stabilization Consider Anchor Arthropathy was published in November 2021 and currently can be accessed at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. And the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal nor are they meant to be used as treatment recommendations for patients. Thank you all for joining us and have a great rest of your day.